is Brian. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, we are moving on in our series called Living Together. We're finally past marriage and parenting. Not that I think any of us have become experts since that, but we're all still growing. Uh, and, and we're starting off with our, our work portion of the series. So we're going to be looking at all sorts of different aspects that, that the Bible has to teach us, that God has instilled in us, uh, kind of his intent for work, his provision through it, uh, kind of what attitudes and behaviors we should have regarding it, and kind of what relationships and, and things will be like. Uh, when we are in the context of work. So uh, I've kind of switched up what my original order was for this series because I figured like Thanksgiving this week, uh, I would might as well teach on something that everyone's kind of thinking about anyway. Uh, so we're going to be looking at contentment uh, and kind of through this aspect of work, right? So if you're interested in a Bible today, uh, raise up your hand and looks like Bill is ready and Denise uh, to give you one. You can take that home. It's our gift to you. And so, yeah, we're talking about contentment. But before I even get there, right, let's talk about, about thankfulness, right? Because Thanksgiving and all that stuff, right? So thankfulness is appreciating or showing gratitude for something or someone, right? So, so that's thankfulness. And thankfulness, the Bible's got a lot to say about thankfulness thankfulness and thanksgiving and entering his courts with, with thanksgiving and praise and, and all sorts of things. So there, there's huge benefits to it. It's something that we should have. We shouldn't be ungrateful for the good things that God gives us and does in our lives. But, but we're not going to just stop there today because thankfulness can be present in a person while there still is kind of like this driving uh, desire in them for more. All right. Thankfulness, uh, can be present while you still kind of want more, that you're, you're discontent, you're dissatisfied, right? Think about like maybe if, if you were trying to, you know, if you needed $1,000 and someone gave you $100, right? Hopefully you're thankful to them, but you'd still have like this kind of like, oh, I really need right, this, right? Or at Thanksgiving this week, maybe you're like, ah, oh, they've only got like my number two and number three favorite pies this year, like, right? Like you, you should be thankful for those things, but you're still like somewhat dissatisfied. Like you wanted, you wanted more, right? So, so that's why uh, we're going to look a little bit beyond just thankfulness. And we're going to look at contentment, all right? Being content. And so contentment is, is being satisfied with less than what you may naturally desire, Okay, uh, contentment is the state of being happy or satisfied, uh, being pleased, not needing more. All right, so kind of fully saturated, fully pleased. Uh, the Holman Christian Dictionary says uh, contentment is an internal satisfaction that does not demand changes in external circumstances. All right, so that's what contentment is uh, in, in reference to what we're talking about. So. So the benefit of contentment is that it moves you off of the mentality of, of I'll, I'll, I'll be happy when, right? Or if I could just get a little bit more and then I'll be happy, all right? Or the next season of my life is going to be great, right? And, and that's kind of a bait that many of us fall for, right? Like we think, you know, when I move out of my parents' house, that'll be awesome, right? Or, or you know, when I get like my career going, this is going to be great. I'll have so much money. Or when I retire, I'll finally have all the free time to do the stuff that I want to do, right? And, and we just kind of keep baiting ourselves along the way. But, but contentment allows us to be happy now. Contentment allows us to be satisfied right now in the midst of our life, whatever our circumstances might be. 
right? So, and, and even if you don't have much, you can still practice contentment and enjoy the season that you're in right now. And actually, I, I, I find that like when uh, I don't have a lot, that's kind of the most exciting time uh, because it's just like an adventure with God. You don't know where he's going to lead you to next and you're just like, hey, this, is good. this is good, like this is going to be great. Uh, so, so contentment is, is this really awesome thing in, in terms of us not always wanting the next thing that's going to make us happy. And I, and I know that some of you guys are thinking like, well, well, no, I would be happy with that next thing though. Like you're, you're convinced, like I, if I just earned like another five grand a year, that would just like give me some breathing room and, and I would be so happy then, right? Like you just think like you, you've got this idea, this ideal in your mind, right? Of, of that would make me happy. But the, the fact of the matter is that's actually not true. Uh, that's not how we as humans work, right? That's not how contentment works because once you're there, you're going to end up with some degree of, of dissatisfaction. You're going to automatically be looking at the next thing, all right? And, and, and I guess like my, the, the best counterexample to this thought that I have is, is think about Adam and Eve, right? They had this, pers- this, this personal relationship with God that was absolutely perfect, they had, they had a perfect marriage with one another, right? They lived in an absolutely perfect environment where every need they had was met. And, and Adam loved his job, right? There was zero toil in his work, right? Everything he did was like full productivity that would come out of the work that he'd put in and, and like there was zero energy lost. So, so they had absolutely the perfect life, yet they were discontent. They believed the lie that that one thing they couldn't have would be the thing that would make them happier. Even though God had created everything perfect for them. To the point that he called it very good. Right? So, so Adam and Eve have everything they need and they're dissatisfied. They end up falling for this lie that this next thing, the one thing God said they couldn't have, was the thing that would make them happy. And so that's just kind of how we are as humans. So we have to, right, intend on being content with where we are now rather than just kind of like, or maybe I'll practice contentment once I get that extra five grand per year, right? That, then I'll be, like, that'll be my goal, right? And, and that's just not how it works. I once went to uh, this financial one-day seminar that was put on by like this uh, financial CPA, financial advisor guy, and he happened to be a, a local member of the church I grew up in, and, and he you know, ended up advising these people that were millionaires, right? And he's like, why would these people ever hire me, right? I, like, I don't earn anything close to them. What could I possibly have to teach them about money, right? Like, these people clearly have it all figured out, like... Why would they ever need me, right? And, and that's, that's what he thought. But one of the things he realized that, that throughout all levels of economic status, Americans all had the same problem, all right? Because the, the moment, say, uh, one of you and your family, you get a promotion or you get a raise or you get a new job, the moment that happens, instead of looking at that as, as margin or like bonus for the end of the month, we immediately kind of upgrade our lifestyle, right? We'll go out and, you know, rent a bigger apartment or, or buy a bigger house or, you know, buy or lease a better car. We'll go out and buy a bunch more clothes and we'll, we'll buy all these electronics and gadgets, right? And, and we'll, we'll end up upgrading everything so that we end up feeling the pressure all over again of like, man, I'm going to have to like work extra hours to pay for all this stuff. This is crazy, right? And, and we end up feeling all this pressure even though we have way more than we need. 
And that's what he realized with even these families where they had, you know, million-dollar houses, they would end up just kind of like automatically upgrading themselves to the point where they couldn't keep up, right? Where sometimes they were just flat-out living beyond their means. And, and that it's just one of the things that we do, where if we chose to be content, right, when we do get that promotion or whatever, we end up having like this breathing room that is just like way healthier for us. Right? Where we're just like, man, like, I don't need to go and just like, upgrade how I dress and like, show off to everybody. Like, I can just stay who I am, and now I've got this, this extra. Right? So contentment is, is a valuable thing. So, so what happened was that these people, they would buy things that they thought would make them happy, and then when it came to paying for those things, they just felt that pressure. Right? And then once that pressure happens and some unexpected car problem happens or you've got to fix something... Now suddenly you're like fighting with your spouse because it's like, oh, we don't have enough money. Like, how are you going to pay this? And like, Arr! and then like, you know, you're granted, you're going to have some level of disagreement as far as like what the priorities are financially. So like, if you'd never let yourself get to that point of that pressure, then, you know, when you do have those little disagreements of like, well, I don't think it's all that important for us to go out and buy this thing right now. Like, it doesn't matter as much because that margin is there. Right? So those disagreements don't happen to be in like this boil pressure situation of, we've got to figure this out. Right? So it's just, we're able to, by, by being content, we're able to experience a lot more of God's peace, uh, happiness, and joy in our lives. Right? So that's, that's kind of the, the practical story that I've seen. But, but let's take a look at the Bible. All right, so early in the New Testament, uh, on the scene shows up this guy called John the Baptist. All right, John the Baptist. He was kind of this forerunner for Jesus where he was kind of preparing the people for the Messiah that was to come. All right, and, and John the Baptist was this guy, he, he would go out preaching, and, and what was cool about him was he would be out in the wilderness, right? He'd be hanging out in the desert places uh, by the Jordan River. And, and it says, the Bible talks about what he wore, um, and it wasn't an Armani suit, right? He wasn't like all fancy, right? He wasn't going out to eat every night. He would wear camel skins, all right? That's what he wore. So he looks kind of like this wild dude in the wilderness. And he would eat locusts and, and wild honey, right? So he would just kind of eat these bugs that he would find out in the woods, like that, or wilderness. I, I don't know if it was woods at that point, but... Either way, he, he would just, like, eat the food that he'd find out there, right? So, so he is, like, this ultimate content dude, right? He, he's essentially survivor man, right, out in the wilderness. And then he's a preacher as well. He's this prophet of God. And crowds come from the villages and the cities to go hear this guy speak, right? And he's not doing anything fancy. He's just, like, hanging out in the wilderness. And they're like, can we come camping with you? Like, this would be great to hear you talk, right? And, and one of the things that he ends up preaching, his, his sermon is, his sermons or the things that he would speak about are summarized in both Matthew chapter three and Luke chapter three. But one of the summaries of a sermon that he would, he would speak is in Luke chapter three, verse eight. It's, he said this, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So let's see, we got to cut out the background there. That was my bad. It's my bad. I, I set them up to fail. Sorry. So uh, the New Living Translation of that verse might make more sense to you where he says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. All right. So that was kind of like one of these sermons that he would preach, right? And, and repentance, by the way, that word just means to change your mind, 
right? To, to like change direction, right? So you thought, you know, this was a good thing. And then you realize God says it isn't. And you're like, okay, I'm going to agree with God. I'm going to change my mind about that. I'm going to do something different, right? So repentance is, is a, a mind or a mental or a heart attitude that changes. But he's saying, once you repent, your behavior should start giving evidence to that change of heart, to, right, to that change of mind. Your, your behavior should start to change, right? And, and in fact, so much so that the people around you should be able to start noticing that you as an individual are, are different, right? He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? So, so you should be producing fruit in your life, something that you are now an enjoyable person to the people around you. Right? You're, you're someone who is, is loving and kind and patient. Right? Someone that has self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Right? So, so that's what he's saying is that once you've experienced this change, once you've repented or turned from your previous life, there should at some point be this change on the outside. Okay? And it takes time. All right? The Bible talks about this process called sanctification, where God is the one that is making us more like him. And it takes a lifetime. So that's why you still have people who are right, followers of Jesus that still sin and mess up. All right? So just so you know, we're not perfect here. He's not saying, like, you know, only people can come to church that are you know, perfect. That's not what he's saying. But, but he did say that there should be a change. And, and fortunately, he didn't just end there and, and leave this sermon up to our own interpretation. Uh, there were people from kind of the crowd, different groups of people came up and asked him questions about this afterwards, right? They, they, were, they were curious, like, okay, all right, so he just said that, but what does this mean for my life? And, and it says this in Luke 3, uh, verse 10. It says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics or coats, right, is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So the crowd asked this question. That was his general advice to the crowd. Then a different group comes up, the tax collectors. They also came to him to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And and he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Right? So these tax collectors are kind of wondering, okay, like, so I've, I've repented of my sin. What does this mean for my life? How is God going to kind of interfere with my life now? Can I still do my job? Like, am I allowed to keep doing this? Like, what, what does this mean? Right? And, and he just said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And then this third group comes to him, the soldiers, probably the centurions. Uh, and, he said, and they say, and we, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. So I ended up taking kind of these three general uh, applications of his sermon and broke it down. So we're going to look at these one at a time. So the first thing he said is whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise, right? So he was talking to people who had extra, right? People who had a little bit more, they had some extra laying around. And his advice was, oh, wait a minute. Notice he didn't say, just be thankful that you have two tunics. That's not what he said, right? Not that they shouldn't be thankful that they have two tunics, but that's not the application that he gave them, right? He didn't say just, you know, talk about like, oh, wow, God has blessed me so much, Right? Don't, don't just thank God that you're blessed when you have two tunics. 
He went beyond that, beyond just being thankful, and he said that you should be generous. So that was the application there, right? Thankfulness is important, but don't just stop at being thankful, right? Don't just be like, well, God's blessed my life, like I'm good, right? That's, that's not what he wanted. That wouldn't be bearing uh, uh, fruit in keeping with repentance. So, so that's, what, that, that's what he ended up saying was don't just be thankful, be generous, I'm going to look at this little story that Jesus shared uh, when he had some people kind of like asking him about money. There was this guy who was like, my brother's not sharing the inheritance with me, Jesus. Like, you got to make him do that. And Jesus is like, listen, who made me a judge over you? And he ends up telling this story in Luke 12. And he says, uh, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. A parable is just like a short story that he, he made up to make a point, right? And he said this, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Right? So that was this guy's solution to his problem. And then verse 20 says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21, Jesus concludes the saying, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right? So that's a little story that Jesus told. And the first thing he, he did when he opened that, he said that, that one's life does not consist of the abundance, or I might add in, or lack of their possessions. All right? That's not how Jesus measured a, a, a successful life. Right? That's not what Jesus would call a win. Right? So that, that's the first problem is, is we got to make sure we're, we're aiming for the right target. Right? Because chances are... If, if that's how we measure success, we're going to be making decisions all along the way where the things that we value are, are going to result in us making the wrong choice most, if not all, of the time. Right? If that's the thing we're measuring success on, we're going to be making bad decisions all the way down, and then eventually at the end of the li- our, our lives, we won't have anything of true value to show for ourselves. So, so basically, Jesus was saying, if, if you think that the amount or the abundance of your possessions is how you measure life, you're going to end up a loser. You're going to make these decisions that end up into you losing out, right? You'll, you'll make trades where you're like, well, I'd rather have this than that. But the thing you're valuing is only temporary compared to something that is of true value, what Jesus would have called life. Right, so that's how he opens this story. And then in the story, notice it said that the land of a rich man produced plentifully. This guy was already rich. Right? This guy already had everything he needed. Right? And then suddenly he just gets like, you know, huge bonus upon bonus like of produce from his fields. And, and it's just the rich getting richer. Right? And, and you might think like, oh man, the 1%, like, we hate those guys, right? But, but in reality, I mean... In terms of the globe, probably everyone in this room would be classified as rich, right, comparatively to the other people on this planet. 
And even if that wasn't the case, chronologically speaking, every person that ever lived in the history of the universe, right, we are rich compared to pretty much every one of those people, right? So, so like, don't just think like, yeah, Jesus is teaching those rich people, like, he'll tell them, right? He's, he's talking to us. This is an application that all of us should walk away from thinking like, hmm, do I do that, right? Is that something that I need to change, right? So, so don't just like, you know, pawn it off on the 1%. Uh, think about how we can apply this to ourselves. And, and so think about what this guy's problem was, right? He had too much stuff, right? He had more stuff that like he's there thinking about like, man, I can't fit this stuff in my barns, right? And this, this was his problem, right? This is what he viewed as like, man, I've had it rough this week, guys. I can't fit all my stuff in my barns. Like this is a huge issue for me. Right? Like, imagine, like, this guy, if he was a believer in God, like, going to God and be like, God, help me figure out how to fit all my stuff in this barn, right? Like, he's, he's racking his mind trying to think of what to do. And, and, and it's not to say that having a savings or investing money is a bad thing. In fact, the Bible would declare that as wisdom, all right? The, the Bible does that a lot, so, so that there is a wisdom to saving, It's not saying that because this guy already had barns, but the point is that God had already provided for what he needed, right? He was already what God called rich, but the the point is, I guess, is that it's, it's wrong to be greedy, right? Jesus said that you can't worship God and, and money, and that's what this guy was doing. And, I, and I'd like to point out that, that greed is not a sin that only investment bankers struggle with. Right? You could be a poor person and have issues with greed. You could worship the money that you don't have. Right? The money that you wish you had. You're worshiping it. Like every time you get another paycheck, like your whole life is caught up in that amount of money that's coming in. It's possible to do that with, without having a lot of it, just so we're aware. But either way, this guy ends up having this, this huge inc- increase and, and he only thinks about himself this whole time, right? His problem was that he assumed it was all meant for him. That, that was this guy's issue, right? And that's why he ends up saying, like, rest, eat, drink, and be merry, right? I, I think I've even seen that, like, you know, like, as little signs you can buy for your house or put up in a bar or something. And so, I mean, it's not a good, mem- it's not a good Bible verse to post in your house if you see the next verse that God said, calling him a fool, and tonight your soul is required of you. So, yeah, I wouldn't put that verse up in my house, I guess. Uh, but, <laughs> but think about this guy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He's essentially having a feast, right? And, and, and we don't know this guy's story. He might have even said grace before this feast, right? He might have even listed off some things that he was thankful for before having this abundance of, of drink and food or whatever he had, right? Like, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't what God wanted him to do, right? So, so being thankful, although important, isn't where we should stop because this guy was clearly supposed to do more than just hoard it for himself. So that's, that's why Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God, right? So it's, it's not saying you can't have some money and also be rich towards God, 
Because the Bible talks about there are godly rich people and ungodly rich people. There are godly poor people and ungodly poor people. So it's not just a matter of like, these are the good people, these are the, the bad people. It's, it's not that cut and dry. All right? But, but the point is that, that we need to be rich toward God. And, and this is essentially something that we see throughout the Bible is that God doesn't just bless you for your sake. Right? Even, even way back in Genesis 12, when God blesses Abraham, right, the father of many nations, he says he blessed him to be a blessing. Right? And, and that's why God blesses us as well. Right? And that's what this guy's problem was, was that he was just selfish when the blessing came in. Right? He was self-indulgent. And in fact, the Bible... Uh, in reference to, to widows, right, which the Bible upholds as these people do, that have this special care of God, that the people of God should intend on caring for them in particular, right? But, but Paul, in First in Timothy, talking about widows, he talks about a widow who could be self-indulgent, all right, a widow that is, is just living for themselves, right? And, th- and this is what he says. This is, this is crazy. First Timothy 5, 6 He says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, right? So so he's basically, he just said that a a widow that's going to just splurge on themselves for the rest of their life, like they're they're basically dead, right? They're not accomplishing anything of, of real value if that's the way they live. Right, like if you're someone who's like, man, I can't wait till retirement. I'm just gonna relax and do nothing for like the next 30 years. God's basically saying, like, He's not saying you're better off dead. He's just saying if you were to die now or die 30 years from now, it would be like just neutral. Like there would be no gain, no loss, because you would have accomplished nothing of true eternal value in all that time. Right. So, so the point is that that we're not supposed to just be self-indulgent when God blesses us. Right? We're supposed to live for other people. We're supposed to love God, love our neighbor. Right? That's what he intends us to do. So, so let's see. How can you be rich toward God? Right? What, is, what does that actually mean? And, and a chapter away from that verse about the widows in 1 Timothy 6, Paul continues on and, and talks about that he blesses us with abundance so that we can give. So verse 17, it says, uh, As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for, their, for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So this is Paul's advice towards rich people that are believers, right? So the first thing he said is don't be proud, right? Don't be haughty. Don't, don't think like, I've got my life all together. Like, I've, you know, I've got a savings account. I've got investments, right? I've got a portfolio, right? I've paid off my mortgage. Don't just like be proud think, thinking that you're somehow better than someone that hasn't accomplished those things. Right, so that was, that was point number one. The second point he said was don't trust money. Don't put your hopes in the uncertainty of riches. All right, because that's a tendency that we can have. We can have, I guess, like this, this huge amount of, of hope in, in our financial security. Right, where maybe it's like the number in our bank account that lets us sleep well at night. 
or if we don't have a good number in our bank, the thing that keeps us up at night, right? Or whatever. But either way, God says that riches are uncertain. You don't, you can't rely on them, right? It's not something that's going to actually bring you true peace. And it's not actually going to truly be able to deliver you through every situation, right? So that's the next thing he, he says, right? And, and, and notice he also says that, that God gives us all things richly for us to enjoy, right? So we do serve a God who's, who's generous to us, right? We serve a God who just pours out blessing on our lives like crazy, right? And it's for us to enjoy. So he's not saying like, you know, God just wants you to be poor forever and sad and never be happy. Like that's, that's not the God that we serve. But the point is that when and as God blesses us, right, we are supposed to be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for ourselves a treasure, right? And so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. So don't just be thankful for, for what you have. Be generous with it. Let's see, that was the longest part of the sermon. I know I've got like two points left, but this next one, don't worry, it's super short. Here we go. The next thing he said was to the the tax collectors and the soldiers, right? He said, collect no more. We're going back to John the Baptist, good old man JB, right? He says, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And then, then to the soldiers, he says, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation." Right? Essentially, John the Baptist is just saying, don't let your desire for more lead you to additional sin. Right? And, and he kind of covers like white collar and blue collar crime here. Right? You could be a tax collector. You're just like, I'm just going to change the number in this column, take a little bit extra off the top for me. Right? Right? Or he talks about these soldiers that are actually literally like going around like brutalizing people like, give me your money sort of thing and extorting from them. Right? So he says either of those things aren't good. I think we've all probably would have come here expecting that God's not happy with that sort of behavior. Stealing is wrong. I think we're good, right? And, and we're probably not planning on extorting on Thanksgiving. We're waiting until Black Friday to do that. So we're, we're good. We're good this week. Um, but the point is that, that covetousness, all right, the desire for things that are not ours uh, is a sin. It's the 10th commandment, all right? And notice that the thing with covetousness, this desire, which I guess covetousness and contentment are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, it's a sin that happens in our hearts. It's not something that anyone else is necessarily aware of, right? But we know that God sees the heart, right? So he knows that sin starts at the heart level, all right? It's not just like you're thinking about it and then you, the action was sin. No, it's the very thoughts and intents of our hearts that matter, right? So, so covetous, covetousness is, is definitely wrong. And I'm not going to spend any more time on this. Uh, we might look a little bit back at this later on in the series. But the last thing he said specifically to the soldiers, he said to be content with your wages. Be satisfied with the job that you have, right? Be, be, be happy, satisfied, pleased with your hourly wage, right? Like, like wait, what? Like, like, we understand we're not supposed to steal, we're not supposed to, like, abuse people, extort from them, but, like, he wants us to be, like, content with what we're earning right now? Like, how... Right? You might think, like, how is that evidence of the change in my heart from, from God? Right? How is that bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Right? That's, that's kind of weird. So, I mean, he's basically saying don't complain about what you make. Be content. Be pleased with what you earn. 
right? So, so like you might be thinking like, are you telling me like Jesus never joined the carpenters union and went on strike with his dad, like to get like more money? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying anything there. I don't know. But, but either way, we need to be content with our wages. And this is in fact a way that we can demonstrate kind of a post repentant heart, right? This is a way that we can demonstrate a change on the inside of us is, is by being content, And notice, it would have been way easier if you just said, be thankful for your wages. That would have been an easier thing to do, right? Because we're like, yeah, thanks, God. Give me a job. Give me money. Right? Thank you, Lord, sort of thing. But but he he goes beyond that and wants us to be content with them. Right? So, So be pleased with where we're at right now is essentially what he's saying. So so why is that? Uh, Because we are to be content because we know that God is faithful and that he is with us. All right, the Bible's got a whole bunch of stuff on this. I mean, I couldn't even fit it all on like the bonus content here. So if you want to go like read about contentment, there's all sorts of good stuff. But let's look at Hebrews 13 right here. Uh, So the author of Hebrews says this. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then he gives an explanation as to why we can be content. For he, God that is, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we're to be content because God is faithful. Right? We, we can trust God. Our contentment is, is evidence of our faith that God has got our back. Right? He's, he said that he'll never leave us. So God is always with us. He's never far. Every struggle, every situation, every circumstance that we go through, he's right there with us. Right? So, so that's why we can be content knowing that, all right, God's with me. He's got me. Right? And then he also said that he will never forsake us. He's not going to abandon us in our mess. Right? He's not going to desert us in the middle of our problem. And what's cool is, is Jesus even said this about God, that he knows what you need even before you pray for it, right? So like when we pray for something, when we ask God for something, he already knows the stuff we need, but he still loves having the conversation with us, right? Like he loves hanging out with his kids. And this verse also said that God is our helper, right? So we don't need to be in fear. We don't need to fear what man can do to us. We don't need to fear what circumstances might come down the road, Right? I don't have to be afraid like, oh man, what happens if I do have this car trouble and I can't get to work and I can't do that? Right? Like, as long as we're like being content, being thankful, being generous, right? God's got our back. Right? We can just love him, love our neighbor. We don't have to worry about these things. So as a result of, of God's faithfulness, we can be fully free from the love of money and fully content in where we are in our lives. So, let's have the, the worship team come back up. And there's, there's one area that the Bible talks about where it says we actually shouldn't be content. All right, where we should be dissatisfied, that we should kind of always be striving for more. And that's, that's in our, our spiritual lives, right? In, in the amount of, of righteousness that is currently present in us. Right? We should be dissatisfied and even hate the sin that is still present 
within us. Jesus said it this way in in Matthew 5, 6. These are called the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right? So the thing that we need to be discontent in isn't, you know, how much money we got or how nice our house is or how we're going to heat our house this winter. Right? But we should be discontent with like, man, like there's just like this sin in me and I hate it. Right? We should, we should be dissatisfied with the current status we're at. Right? Because we realize that that sin hurts us. It hurts the people we love, the, the people around us. Right? That's where we should have a hunger and a thirst and a passion to see God's righteousness made evident in our lives. And that's, that's an area that, that we can grow in. And the, the good news is that Jesus promised that we will be satisfied in that. And what's, what's great is that desire, it's, it's, it's not a, a burden that we bear on our own, right? We don't have to figure out all of our sin mess on our own. It's something that God is faithful, uh, the, the, the work that he has started in us, he's faithful to bring to completion, right? So he's, he's with us even in our own sin issues, right? Even when we are extorting and lying and being cruel to people and being discontent and whatever we're dealing with, right? God is faithful to, to cleanse our hearts, when we repent of our sins, which just means to change our minds. So uh, today, if, if you've never heard about the fact that, that Jesus loves you, that, that he died for your sins, that he wants to forgive you, I want to let you know that, that repentance is an avenue to receive that forgiveness. It just means like acknowledging to God, like, man, I'm, I was wrong. Like, uh, doing my life my own way, like this isn't working out, right? Like, I keep messing up and I, I don't see a way out. And just trusting God... Right, saying, calling sin, sin, calling like God, I was wrong, and trusting Him to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it's that simple, right? God loves us and He wants a relationship with us. And then those of us who are believers, right, and have been following Jesus for a while, inspect our hearts, right? Think about like, am I showing evidence? Am I bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, right? What are the areas that I kind of have to like attack next? Right? Don't just think about like, what my New Year's resolution is going to be a couple months away, but think about like, what am I working on right now? Like, what am I praying through? What am I dissatisfied in my life about? And what, what are the things that I have to keep making effort in and strides towards becoming more and more like Jesus? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you are generous. You are abundant. You give us all things. You withhold no good thing from those who you love, God, uh, that you've given us all things to enjoy, uh, and that, God, even when humanity messed up, when, when Adam and Eve failed, that, God, you sought us out to, to bring us back into relationship with you, to bring us back one day to, to a paradise once again where sin will no longer plague our lives. So, God, I, I ask that you would just develop in our hearts uh, contentment, that, Holy Spirit, you would lead us where we need to be generous, uh, that, that you would just be at work in us, pruning our lives, that we would, in fact, bear fruit and show evidence of the change that, that has happened within us. And, Lord, I thank you that even when no change has shown yet, the moment we make a decision to follow you, the moment we've received you as our Lord and Savior, that your word says that you have made us a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we can experience that newness on the inside even when it takes time to show on the outside. So God, we praise you for all this and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.